Every year on April Fool's Day, we release a new Fool or Forecaster report. Writing this report is a mammoth task as we compile as many predictions as we can lay our hands on and compare them to what actually happened in the previous year. And as you can expect, 2022 was a doozy. So many unexpected things to skittle those carefully crafted forecasts. And in keeping the forecasters to account, we didn't restrict ourselves to property price predictions. This year, we also tracked interest rate predictions. Now, stick around if you want to know who got it right, or perhaps a better way of phrasing that is uh, who got it the least wrong. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent and buyer's agent mentor, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, author of Auction Ready and co-host of Your First Home Buyer Guide. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker, recently ranked number five in Australia out of over 18,000 brokers in the annual MPA Top 100 Mortgage Broker Award. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of an appropriate and experienced professional. Before we launch into who got it right and who got it wrong, we want to be clear that we're not bagging out economists. Even though it's mostly economists who make property predictions, we've learned so much from all the guests that we've had on the show, particularly the economists we've had on the podcast over the last five years and a special shout out to the economists who have come onto the podcast in 2022. We thank you. I'll quickly run through their names. Cameron Kusha, Saul S. Slake, Dr. Cameron Murray, Brendan Coates, Nikki Hutley, Steve King, Chris Leishman, Carlos Cacho, Paul Ryan, Belinda Allen, Felicity Emmett, as well as respected researchers Eliza Owen and our old mate Kent Lardner. Now, right, with that out of the way, let's talk through the roller coaster year that was and highlight those who bucked the trend and anticipated the interest rate rises and subsequent impact on the property market. So if we go back to the last quarter of 2022, Chris, what do you recall? Oh, 2021, you mean, as in terms of... Yes, I mean yeah. that, 2021. And and that's the thing. We, we are going back quite far in time. We're going back about 15 months and the world was a completely different place. No, I don't need to tell you that, but... Um, we had very low inflation, you know, declining inflation all over the world. All the governments around the world were predicting, you know, very modest inflation, if at all, um, in the years to come. You know, growth was meant to be subdued. And we all know that 2022 didn't happen like that. Um, you know, as the start of 2022, you know, there was a, a bit of a rising expectation that interest rates were going to go up, even though the RBA said they weren't, but nothing like what happened over the next 12 months. So, there was so much um, research that we both did and it, there was literally every article you read was pretty much wrong by a long way. And so um, it's going to be a good chat today. Well, it was interesting because I remember the, the headlines started talking about potential for price falls at the end of 2021, but they weren't really referring to inflation as being the cause of it. And I think what was so interesting when we look back over the year that was um, was all the external factors that really impacted on the economy and on inflation, which meant that interest rates had to go up, which obviously has a knock-on effect to the property market. And so it was almost like prices must start to fall because 2021 was such a hot year that it was almost, and we could see that growth had slowed. CoreLogic data had definitely shown that. So prices were still rising, but at a much slower rate, more controlled rate than they were at the beginning of 2021. And it's almost like because we were slowing, 
um, not declining, the headlines were all talking about sort of falls, price falls, but without any real um, basis behind that other than, well, you know, what goes up must come down sort of logic. Whereas there was actually bigger, you know, much bigger tailwinds brewing or headwinds, I should say, brewing. Um, that we had, we were all blissfully ignorant of, particularly, and I think it all came crashing down when um, the Ukraine war started. That was, then it was like everything seemed to just, con, you know, basically uh, land at the same time. And then we really saw an, you know, an impact on inflation. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the the fear going into, um, there was no fear going into 2022. I think everyone knew that growth was going to slow down, you know, because of the severe rise in um, prices over 2020 and 2021 and they weren't sustainable um, and there was talk of rates going up and, and I think everyone knew that but no one expected that you know you're going to see a 3% increase in interest rates a 30% reduction in borrowing capacity um, and a complete freak out event right where no one knew where interest rates were going to go above 4 to 4.5% 4. at one point and no one would have thought that and you know when you look at that, how the market held up after that I mean prices corrected really fast, um, but not as significantly. I mean, Chris Joy came out in October 2021 and was probably one of the first, and we're going to give him a bit of a, a pat on the back here, because he was one of the first that started to bring up the conversation that, look, you know, guys, there's going to be some pain ahead when the RBA increases rates. But, you know, he, in his mind, and if you look at his articles in um, February and May 2022, he was thinking maybe rates, the RBA is going to go up to one or maybe 1.25 or 1.5. He wasn't basing his expectations on the RBA going to 3%, which they did. Um, and that would be a 30% reduction to borrowing capacity. So yeah, you know, Chris was right in some sense that price falls were going to come down the line, but you know, he wasn't expecting inflation and interest rates to go anywhere near what they got to. So, and then that goes to what I was saying before is that I think those who were starting to talk down the market at the end of 2021, they sort of got it right, but for the wrong reasons. And, you know, I think too, what's interesting with Christopher Joy in particular, he said, he said that prices, you know, could fall up to 25%. And unlike all the other forecasters, he hasn't revised that at all. And he's yet to be proven right or wrong because, you know, we're not yet at the end of this cycle. <laughs> so, um, but we're still a long way off 25% yep. on a, at a national basis. So he might end up with a goal next year because... You know, at the end of all this, it may not all pan out. But at the moment, I guess he's getting a gold star because he called falls before nearly anyone else did. Um, and there weren't many people that were prepared to buck what the RBA was saying. Because if we all remember, the RBA was was quite quite vocal in saying that we didn't they didn't expect rates to rise until 2024, which did feed a lot of confidence into the market. Um, and in retrospect, highly unfortunate for you know, a segment of the market, uh, people piled in at the peak, uh, particularly first home buyers, you know, with very small uh, proportions of equity, you know, obviously they're hurting a lot more than potentially somebody who's been in the market for a lot longer. So yeah, some damage that was obviously done by that and by people taking action. But you know, it's so interesting though, but looking back and when you, you know, we you got the report on our website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au. If you want to read all of this stuff and, and read it in, in the chronology of it, then please download a copy of the report. But when we were writing it, when we were reviewing all these predictions, it was just so interesting to look at January 2022 and almost everybody, a couple of gold stars for, for people that did stick the neck out and say that, you know, prices could fall or would fall for the year, over 
overwhelmingly, it was believed that prices will continue to rise, albeit at a slower pace. There was a number of economists that would start talking about, yeah, we probably could see interest rates might start rising in November 2022. It was almost like they just want to duck in before the end of the year to say that they, they could claim that they said that prices, that uh, rates will go up in 2022. But really and truly, it didn't start, you know, that those sort of predictions that actually rates could go up earlier in the middle of the year, that didn't really happen, I wouldn't say, till April in fact, in April, there was revisions of predictions. There was a prediction at the beginning of the month and a prediction at the end of the month by a number of institutions. Uh, and it was really interesting just to see this, this frenzy whip up. But in February 2022, when, you know, we know that that's the Ukraine war, it's almost like the catalyst. It feels like the catalyst. I'm sure it isn't the catalyst, but it's certainly a big factor here uh, in terms of uh, creating energy price problems and, and obviously that contributing effect of that on inflation. So that he that seemed to be the point at where all the the forecasts seemed to all get skittled for a bit. There were even ANZ at that point revised their their predictions for price movements upwards. You know, in the middle of all this, others were revising them down. It was just this total mess, mess of predictions. And so, looking at February was like this sort of pivot, this turning point. It was such an interesting, interesting month to make. You can't make sense of it really because even in retrospect, it looks ridiculous. Yeah, I think we've been doing these reports for five years and, you know, why we do it is a bit of fun looking back in time and, and just going over the year and what happened and it's great for us just to bank that memory, right, and what actually happened and what everyone thought prior and what ended up happening. And um, But I think in, even in going to 2023, the same's happening again. You know, we're cute, you know, finishing quarter one. Um, no one would have expected things that we're seeing in banking systems, right? Um, you know, Credit Suisse and Silicon Valley Bank and you know, market expectations of interest rates have gone from 4.5% down to 3.5%. That's a huge swing in, th- in, in, a, in a quarter. Um, and so when we do this next year, we're going to get the same learnings that we got this year, um, where everyone's going to potentially think the market was keep falling, but maybe the market's going to go up. I don't know. So I think what's the, the interesting thing is, is here, when you look back in time, you can see how difficult it is, you know, forecasting. Um, and I think you're right. The, the swings were so grand. And same in 2020, you know, when you COVID, everyone thought the property market was going to fall dramatically, you know, and it didn't, right? Same thing here. Everyone thought the property market would keep going up in 2022. It didn't. It actually went down quite significantly. And so if you based your recommendations on what all these economists sort of said in the start of 2022 or what the bank said, you know, there's a City Morning Herald article, which we've got in the report, which says all the banks thought that interest rates would stay really low in 2022. Obviously they didn't. Um, even the market pricing, you know, you sometimes you think, well, I'm not going to listen to the banks. I'm not going to listen to the economists. I'm going to look what the traders are doing. They're the ones in the know. Well, they thought interest rates would go up to just over 1% in 2022. Obviously, they didn't. The market actually got it right, though, I found, though, once they got to sort of April, May, I think the market realized that the inflation problem was quite grand in scale, and it would take a significant effort in terms of the RBA increasing interest rates. And they, they were basically saying, look, we think that the interest rates are going to go up to circa 3 or 4%, even though the banks weren't thinking that. Um, so the money, I think, got it right by the middle of the year. And, you know, we're looking back at some research around the money. Um, you can see that, you know, over the last decade uh, or so, the market kept thinking rates would go sideways or go up, and they just kept falling. You know, the RBA just kept on cutting rates. And the market kept on getting it wrong. They kept on thinking rates would stay steady or go up. And I think that's just a thing to know that the money doesn't even know where rates or property prices are going to go. 
And that's the problem, right? Because there's this fallacy that they do know and a lot of money hinges on this. Mm. And it's like, how long is it going to take before anybody actually works it out? The blind leading the blind. And, and, and I think what, I mean, it seems so obvious now, but when you sort of deconstruct this and tease this all out like we've done, you know, the, the RBA basically got their forecasts on uh, inflation wrong. And then because they got their forecasts on inflation wrong, they got their forecasts on interest rates wrong. And then because they got the interest rate forecasts wrong and they, and they were quite open about it, um, or about their wrong forecast, not the fact that they got it wrong. Um, but anybody that basing their forecasts on that information were also going to get it wrong. And this is the problem, that you can trace this all quite clearly back to the one source, really, when you think about it. And it's like, why? Who is a greater fool? You know, the economist who bases their, their models and, and their forecasting on this information and then publishes it. And then, you know, and or is it the person or the institution that actually pays attention to this, uh, to these forecasts and act on them? Because I think we've got to, we've got to wake up and realize that this art, this, this game of trying to predict what's going to happen with the property market, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. The RBA is an interesting one to look at for this research. So, they, every quarter, they do an economic outlook. Um, well, there's links in the report. And um, so I went back and I said, look, what's the November 2021 um, outlook for inflation? And they said, well, in 2022, probably going to be low twos, right? And by the time February came around, they're like, uh-oh, maybe inflation's going to be 3.5%. That's a big difference in three months. Worst case, it may get close to 4% in the coming years. But, you know, if there's another COVID outbreak, maybe it's going to go back down to two. So there was obviously fear around, you know, there in, in Feb 2022. But by May, so this is after Ukraine, right? Uh-oh, we got it wrong. It's not going to three. <laughs> it's going to potentially five. Um, and it's going to be sticky. This isn't going back down for at least a couple of years. So they were freaking out a little bit here. And then this is when it really... So then it goes, uh-oh, it's going over eight. <laughs> So in August, so they've gone in the space of, you know, November, which is nine months from, hey, it's no, nothing to watch here, nothing to see. Inflation's going to be 2% to inflation's going to be 8%. Um, and this is going to stick around. And then when they kind of get to November, it's obviously hit close to 8%. And that this is going to be quite sticky now. It's going to stick around, you know, till 2024, 2025. So you, you kind of look at the RBA here, you know, what a flip in 12 months, you know, no, no inflation It's going to be 2% to actually we're hitting 8%. Um, and, you know, that's obviously the cause the response in terms of the interest rates. And look, I mean, you know, there's a lot of calls for heads to roll um, and you can understand why, especially when the central banks in other countries seem to see the writing on the wall earlier and do something about it. And so there's lots of arguments there. Now, we're not economists and we're certainly not experts in monetary policy. But from an observer's point of view, and because particularly for this report, we get to sit down and look over all the predictions with the benefit of hindsight. Now, I'm not foolish enough or clever enough, potentially, to come up with a forecast. So you'll never actually, I'll never get a gong, nor will I get a gold medal. <laughs> and so it's easy for me to judge, I guess, because I never put myself in that situation. However, it it, it really does beg a belief. Like, I, I am just... I'm astounded at the 
the I guess the willingness for, particularly for bank economists, and I get that they're, you know, it's a PR message and they're getting headlines out of it, but I'm I'm astounded at their willingness to keep fronting up with more of this stuff. There was one article which we've quoted in the report where Gareth Ayn is the chief economist at CBA and and he he was quoted with all these caveats and hedgings and all the rest of it. So it was a classic. It was like, well, CBA says prices are going to do this, but if that happens, it could do that, or if this happens, it could that. And it was like the article... You know, and it's like, well, of course. And yet the problem, I guess what happens is these press releases go out, a lot of these headlines grab one line, you know, and and they will craft a, a story around whatever angle they choose. One of the things I really did appreciate, and I, and I gave her a gold star actually, was, was um, a journalist or the editor of The Advisor magazine and uh, is it Mortgage Business, Annie, Annie Kane, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because what she does, she actually regularly reports on what all of them are saying, and she also quite often reviews back to you know, well, last time they said this, and and they're that they got that wrong, and I and I think that that's quite good to see in reporting because you're not ah. often seeing that, you know, a lot of the particularly the AFI in particular, a lot of their headlines really grab onto the biggest number, and and you know they're all they're quite scary. I mean, the first one in they had one in January, you know, when it comes, it's going to be a long, you know, it's basically, it's going to be, when the price falls come, it's going to be a long run or something like that. It was a particularly doomy and gloomy headline, which I have got in the report, but I can't remember the name of it. And that was looking at, you know, CoreLogic comes out with these charts when the market starts going down, the CoreLogic comes out with these charts showing the speed um, and rate of decline. And and I just always find that interesting because we all look at, I do it because I'm a human being and I look at the rate of decline of the the curve that's going down, the thick black line that is the current trend down and you don't know when the bottom is and it looks steeper and worse and fiercer than all the other previous uh, downturns that we've had. You know what I mean? And this, this chart comes out and Tim Lawless comes out uh, saying it could be worse than the GFC. Um, now, he's very clever. I do notice that when he comes out with commentary, he never says, oh, I think prices are going to go up 6% or and he never puts a figure on anything, but he does point to what happened in the past and might reference something and say, oh, it could be like that. And I think that that's a, it's an interesting way to to predict without being as easy to hold to account than a lot of these economists uh, so that's something as well. And so you do see these charts being trotted out. I remember they, they were trotted out in the last downturn as well. And they do. They're scary. They're very scary. Yeah, I think one of your quotes you put in the report, which I think um, our friend Stuart Weems, a lot of people would know Eases, you know, um, and, you know, he basically said, you know, the, the behavioral economic part of forecasting property price movements is what's missing in most of the commentary. We did, there was actually someone in the report who sort of really connected okay well prices are falling listings are going to fall you know and listings are quality properties are going to fall um and i don't think the borrowing capacity reduction still probably gets it himself because he's you know had a mortgage broken lending background and understands that real connection with not just what the rate that which you borrow at but also the amount you can borrow and the impact that has on driving booms and busts we saw that in 2018 you know the access to credit basically was wiped out with the royal commission that was one of the biggest reasons that 2018, 2019 downturn happened is because the ability to get a loan was compromised, not even the rate or how much you could borrow. Um, and so I think that's been the really big thing that's played out this year is the tighter listings, the tighter number of, um, and then also just this pent up demand that, you know, as prices fall, 
buyers who ultimately have missed out in previous booms, who ultimately need to enter the market for lifestyle reason, that human side of wanting security and first home buyers entering and people not selling their homes, you know, anchoring buyers, you know, I could have sold it in 2021 for this price. There's no way I'm selling it for this price. I'm not going to move up to Queensland and cash in now. I'm going to stay here for three or four more years. And so I think that human side is really that, that stress test or buffer that the property market has, which is different to us other asset classes. Like, you know, and investors, for example, also don't run for the hills. You know, there have been a few reports recently. It's like, oh, I'm just, it's just a knee-jerk reaction. I'm not going to sell my property. Property always goes up. And even investors think like that with property because it, you know, there's a process to sell a property. You just don't click a few buttons on a trading account. And, you know, and so I think these, all these behavioral things, just people don't see the headlines. And I think people aren't going to, um, see that through the headlines this year when they're all talking about this fixed rate cliff and there's going to be all these delinquencies and the arrears are going to pick up you know it's well that's just not realistically going to happen on scale um immediately it may happen in certain pockets so that's a really good point Stuart says I'm on a personal mission to help more people make better property decisions. And you can find out all about what I'm working on at veronicamorgan.com.au. And there you'll find resources for first home buyers, details about my buyer's agent mentoring program, access to suburb help for investors, or if you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or lower North Shore, you can connect with my team at Good Deeds Property Buyers. You're thinking about buying your first home, upgrading to a new one, or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, we would love to carefully guide you through this journey and importantly, get the finance right. Please reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Don't forget that you can download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au. I think too, I mean, remember the principal and interest cliff yeah, the, you know, the um, interest-only cliff yeah. that was back in, when was that, 2017, uh, 2020, 18? I think, or maybe that, it's a bit earlier, actually, maybe yeah. 2019. So it was when interest rates and interest-only was um, all what everyone was basically doing, you know, um, in the investment boom of sort of 2015, 2016. So you had five years on top of that, and I think that's roughly when it would have been. But you're right, that was like, oh... Borrowing capacity is not going to allow people to get out of these interest only um, because capacity is a fall and the banks are tightening up the rules around interest only. But, you know, bit by bit, investors maybe just sold one of their property or maybe they just were able to extend their terms because they sold one of their properties. You know, it was all a storm in a teacup. Well, I think that's the important thing, bit by bit. And it's what a lot of these commentary seems to assume is that the entire property owning population of this country is all going to move en masse Yep. in reaction to something like the mortgage cliff, right? And so they like, right, everyone's going to hurt at the same time. Well, we know that a third of property has is unencumbered, right? We know that a third hasn't got a huge amount of debt and a third has got quite a high lot of debt, right? So a third of property owners are in that bucket where potentially a lot of those are going to come off this fixed rate cliff, right? So that's true, but still in the whole 10 million properties in Australia, it's still only a percentage and it's dispersed. <laughs> and and it's like, and so when you sort of break it apart and you think, of course, there's not going to be a run on the property market because fact is not everybody has to sell. And then a lot of people will do whatever they can to avoid selling. And let's face it, if you were in a situation where you were staring down the barrel of selling and then you had to go and find somewhere to rent, well, that's not easy either. So it's basically you've got a shit sandwich, whichever way you look at it. You have your shit sandwich on brown bread, 
your shit sandwich on white bread. One way or the other, you've got a shit sandwich. You have to eat this thing. And that means that you're going to have to suck up your higher mortgage repayments, get a second job, whatever you do, because that's what we do. Mm. You know, we actually eat the shit sandwich. Now, I love these news outlets that go running around looking for the sob story of the one couple that is going to sell because of this. And, and it's like, that's not helping. And as much as I love the ABC, they're particularly bad at this or particularly good at it, depending on your aspect, your perspective. You know, they love finding that down and out, the, the sob story. And look, I get that people are hard up. Don't get me wrong, you know, and I'm, I'm going to suffer this part of my mortgages uh, coming off a lovely low fixed rate and I'm going to hurt a bit myself um, coming June. But the point, I will tighten up my belt. I will make allowances. I will make adjustments. I will, I've got things that I will do to obviously ease that burden. And that's the, the fact is it's sort of that behavioral thing that Stuart was referring to. That's the stuff that these numbers, purely using numbers to base these predictions on, it just fails to take into account. And and it does make me laugh that once again, we keep seeing this over and over again. So I just wonder when they're going to learn. Will they learn? Can they learn? Yeah. And I think the worry with waiting is sometimes you, you know, you don't understand that other people may also be waiting. So when you all finally wait for this magical event where it's great buying, you also get there and all the, all the herd's there already. And the herd actually says, well, if everyone's waiting for that, I'm going to jump in front of the herd. And then all of a sudden the herd actually times actually moving in front of where you think it is. And so you're actually late to the party because everyone else is trying to outsmart the herd uh, and buy a little bit. Of, and I think that's what's already happened in the property market. And I think that's the risk we're going to see in 2023 is everyone's going to be waiting for this fixed, fixed rate cliff, right? And you know what we, you know, what we've seen recently, you know, maybe interest rates have stopped going up, you know? Yeah, we got to this point where there's going to be a pause in the rate cycle. So if you were waiting for this magical moment and now all of a sudden the, the new the facts have changed and now the story's changed, well, hang on a sec, now you're going to be reactive and you're going to be entering the market at the wrong time. So this it's just one of those uh, problems. I think that's a really, uh, there's a lot of graphs out there, some great ones on LinkedIn where people, you know, track sort of forecasts over time and market expectations of interest rates has been really interesting. We put a graph in um in the report that basically shows what people have thought over the last six months. And you can see in June, you know, the expectations that rates were probably going to end up somewhere around three. But as it went to sort of July, it was like, hang on, rates are going to go to over 4%. And that was a real freak out moment. I remember that from a lot of clients, very scared <laughs> in July, um, me included. I actually bought a property in June uh, <laughs> and upgraded. Uh, and so I was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting this. What have I done? Um, and uh, by the time July sort of came around, it started to come back down to, oh, maybe it's going to be three and a half. And then it sort of spiked again up to four. And, um, and then it ended the year sort of, you know, roughly around that sort of four mark. Um, so it's just, and, and then this year it's done the similar thing. You know, is it going to go four? Is it going to go down to three, et cetera? And so it's really hard to base your long-term decisions when the market's just changing its tune so often because new information's coming in and it's just like, what's that mean? What's that mean? What's that mean? This is so typical of what is wrong about the property market. And it is this short-term thinking and... around a long-term asset. And this is one of the, um, Tom Panos came out with a with a quote on LinkedIn and probably Twitter, probably everywhere, actually. It was something oh. like, um, I'm paraphrasing, and I just thought it was classic. I don't, I don't usually comment on things that he says, but this I just thought was brilliant. And, and it says, you marry the property, but you're only dating interest rates. And it, it's so true. It's like 
the thing is you've committed to the property and if you've done your job well in the first place, you've committed to a good property that you should be thinking long-term about. It suits your needs and will do so for the long-term and it's worth holding on to. It's really the people that panic the most are people that are short-term in their thinking and they really think, do they really believe that they can ride the property market or in some way control it? And a lot of people do think they can. They think they can they can work this beast to their advantage and they fail to see when luck plays uh, and it could be good luck and bad luck, you know, because at the end of the day, this property market is a beast way bigger than, than any of us and way bigger than every single economist and forecaster who has put their name on a number saying that market's going to do this or it's going to do that. All they're really talking about is if this happens, that could happen. You know, if that happens, this something else might happen. And I think that's what's missing in the reporting of these predictions. Um, I know a lot of work goes into coming up with these forecasts. I mean, particularly Felicity Emmett and Belinda Allen, you know, Felicity's from the ANZ, Belinda's from CBA, both of them senior economists, and they came on the podcast. They took the time to explain to us really what goes into these models. And these aren't, you know, it isn't, we, we might make light of it and say, look, why the hell do they put their name to it? Um, they're part of an institution that will release this information, obviously. And so therefore, therefore, you know, they've probably got no control. That's their job to do that, obviously. And I really, I really appreciate it. I'm sure you did too, that them taking the time to explain to us all the inputs and the challenges of trying to get it right. But I also think maybe we should give a gong. Uh, you know, someone said to me the other day, isn't a gong a positive thing, Veronica? But we're looking, we call, if someone gets a gong in the full of forecast report, it's a negative, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, and I, and I actually did look up too, is a gong, I googled, is a gong a positive thing? <laughs> but I got this whole thing back about basically Eastern mysticism, which I didn't think quite fit um, with what I was trying to find <laughs> out. So I gave up on the search. But anyway, the point being, if we give it a gong, that's because we're saying it's um, not great. And so, you know, the gong, I think a big gong needs to go to the way the media reports on these predictions. And I know that there's some some very good property writers and eco- eco- economic writers who really take the time to try to es- explain things. And there's others that really do go for those sensationalist headline that really does, um, I think, is irresponsible personally. Yeah, I think we've, uh, we've sort of five years in a row, and I'm pretty sure next year as well is going to be the same thing where we you know, we can see that media storm is going to cause all sorts of overconfidence. And, you know, it was actually just two weeks ago, I, I saw an article that the boom is back, right? Um, and, you know, because uh, you could see that the Sydney prices are starting to stabilize and maybe this month's going up. And, you know, as the, it was all those articles that maybe the bottom's passed and things like that. And, you know, the negative news will flip into the positive news. And um, we all know that the news companies are all owned by, you know, conflicted interests and the platforms are owned by different people. Um, and so we've got to be conscious that the money's the money's basically driving a lot of these media's um, which is driving the people, which hopefully our listeners aren't uh, buying into. So one of the, one of the gold stars we gave as well was to Scott Pape, and I just thought I love this. This is in and it's not on his website. It's in a, on on his email. I think he puts out a weekly email, and I got this one, and it was entitled uh, "Launching a Class Action Against the RBA." And it was a letter written in by this guy named Ben, who's very upset, obviously, that he acted on the, the uh, RBA's uh, advice. If, you know that they were, that 
you know, you're good to go because we're not going to raise interest rates till 2024. And I'm going to quote him. This is why he gets a gold star. Look, no one put a gun to your head and told you to borrow too much money when interest rates were at their lowest levels in recorded history. I've written at this every week for the last decade, mate. So sorry, Ben, I won't be joining your pity party. <laughs> and I thought that was funny because at the end of the day, it comes back to this long-term thinking that we're always banging on about. It's This is all short-term. It's all just scaring us one way or the other, scaring us into action, scaring us into inaction. And, you know, we need to take responsibility for ourselves and for our property decisions. These are important, you know, and I know that I'm preaching the converted with our listeners here. You know, you guys are all smart enough to, to know this is a long game, to just to think, you know, buying a good asset, holding on to it, you know, not overextending, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all good, solid, you know, principles to apply to your life and not be tossed around. But I have to say, I recognize the human behavioral element here because I too, even though I know this, even though I study this, even though I've been in this market through, I think I've worked out about eight or nine cycles, I too get freaked out by this stuff, right? So I totally understand why people do need you, particularly with all this sort of heightened, and I call it misinformation out there. And it's one of the reasons that we do write the report is to try to remind everybody that this is not worth paying attention to other than for a, a bit of humor in a way. Yeah, I think that the one thing that uh, downturns and events happen is that I think it's really a time where quality properties versus that, you know, not so much, the dogs we like to call on here, um, they, that gap gets big. You know, you can really oh. see the people who have bought the properties that aren't that great are feeling a lot of pain if they have to sell. You can see those properties sitting on the market um, no, there's not many buyers, you know, uh, we had some clients make some crazy sort of negotiations in that sort of August, September, October. Um, and you know, and why, and that, while they're not the triple A assets, they got them at very good prices and massive discounts to what they were, you know, for the better properties. Um, and they, they were of those issues, but they were factored into its price, I guess, at that point. And I think this is what the downturns teach you as a, as a property investor is that, you know, what happens to supply, what happens to quality listings, what a human behavior does, you know, the pickiness with interest rates. Um, and so then you get that confidence to say, well, yeah, in those downtimes, my property was fine. You know, no one was rushing for the exits. I know there's long-term benefits with, you know, population growth and the economy and, you know, and I've got a good asset that's really scarce and I can bet on those long-term fundamentals, not worry about the short-term, you know, blip with the, f the fear in the market. I'm not looking to transact anyway, so I can just turn it off and um, manage my debt. And that's the thing, isn't it? Just turn down the noise. If you're not looking to transact, if you're confident in the decisions that you've made, you can, it's a lot easier to not uh, give any of this um, airplay. Now, one of the things uh, that we do always bang on about is that quality of property um, and how important that is in those investment fundamentals and not being um, waylaid by clever little you know, marketing spills and all the rest of it. And certainly um, encourage you to download the Fuel of Forecaster report, which every year is available on April Fool's Day and when will be on the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au. But one of the things that I'd like to ask you is, well, while you're on the website, while you are downloading the report, uh, if you have a question for us, use the new speak pipe thing there. So there's a little button you can press and you can actually record a question for us as long as it's less than two minutes. But the other thing that I'm really keen to to get some more uh, stories on, 
and that are listener stories of poor investment decisions. Now, I know this is not the stuff that you talk about around the barbecue. Everyone's bragging about how clever they are on their good investment decisions. Quite often, I hear people bragging about ones that weren't good, but they think they're good. What I'm interested in is evidence and experiences of people that have made decisions probably five or 10 years ago, maybe longer, where at the time you thought it was the right thing to do, you might have followed, you know, conventional wisdom at the time, you might have followed a spruker, you might have followed uh, a property expert that had some strategy. And after time, you've realized the flaws in that strategy or the flaws in that thinking. And the reason I'm asking you to share those with us is because we really want to, I guess, create a cautionary tale for people. You know, there's always a new breed of property, you know, guru coming out, selling their latest their latest uh, strategy for a whole new generation of people to make those same mistakes. Mm-hmm. So same shoot, different shovel. We just would love to have some evidence there to show stories. And so we're not wanting to make uh, a, a bad example of anyone. We're really wanting to create a cautionary tale. So I just thought while you're there on the website, if you can send us an email or even a uh, speak pipe, and just tell us your story. We'd really value that. And we want to turn it into some sort of resource that is really helpful for the next generation of property investors. Look, I think that's amazing. I definitely throw your questions in there. We love the Q&A and it's nothing better than hearing your voice as well, um, given we're a podcast. I think that's just why we talk about the Dumbos and, you know, we want those stories is, you know, as a broker, as an ex-planner, um, I speak to lots and lots of people every single week. And if we accumulate those stories over 10 years, now, that's where our learnings have come from. It's the same for Veronica. It's understanding why did you buy that property? What happened? What's happened to it? What's the growth? Comparing that, et cetera. Um, and, you know, when you're hearing these stories, you can see similar trends where people have made different decisions and ultimately ended up in different places. And so if you've got some stories to share, um, you know, we've got a pretty uns- uh, bad story at the moment, a client um, off the plan, you know, purchase and tried to sell it, but then there's building issues. Um, that are ongoing and he, you know, wants to upgrade, you know, really needs to upgrade, but just can't sell the asset. And, you know, it's a, it's a real tough one. I mean, a client, you know, last week as well, you know, two off the plans in sort of inner city, um, you know, pretty popular development in the inner city actually. Um, and you know, won awards, et cetera, this, this building, but the apartments themselves were overpriced. Uh-huh. Um, and those apartments have done nothing in, in um, well over a decade. And, you know, the, the sunk cost bias here, the holding costs, the opportunity cost, yep. actually family, emotional element here where they just want to sell where they make a profit. Um, and so, yeah, there's lots and lots of stories Veronica and I hear. And that's what we, we try to do through these podcasts is educate. Okay, well, if you did make that decision, this is ultimately where it's going to affect you. And um, this is what a better decision could be. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode, you can send us a voicemail or written question via the website, theelephantintheroom.com.au, or you can email us directly at questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars would be great. I know that sounds a bit cringy, but we have it on good authority that every review helps make it easier for other people to find out about us and hear what our amazing guests have to say.